And as we think about that younger son, in his life circumstances, he completely ran against the father, separated himself from the family, squandered everything, feeling abandoned and alone. He didn't know where else to turn, but he turned back to his father, only to receive a welcoming embrace. And God, how awesome is it that you love us in that way? You don't love us because of what we've done or what we can do, but you love us because we're simply your kids. And nothing we can do can make you love us any more or less. And so, God, as we turn our attention from that triumphant story this morning, I pray that you would punch each one of us in the heart exactly how you need to. That you would wake us up. My prayer, God, is that this service, this sermon wouldn't make sense to a single person in this room. But I'm in here, so it will. And I pray, God, that you would help us to honestly pull our defenses down, to set them on the floor, and to really look at the reason why we're even here this morning. And so, God, we pray that you would, um, I don't know, disturb us, check us, wake us up this morning, and help us to celebrate the things we need to celebrate and to grieve the things we need to grieve. God, we love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I'm Pastor Jamie, and uh, thanks to Jared and everybody for everything. Uh, that last song that we just did, it just, it's such a, I like the word visceral. It's just like, ugh, like I don't know about you, but, but, but so many times in my life, I feel like I've been in this moment where all I can do is really scream out to God. Uh, whether it be through pain, a uh, last-ditch effort for attention. I don't know what it is, but I, some of you probably have been there. And I can't help but to think about that younger brother in his life circumstances when he was in the pig pen, looking at the pig food, as we heard about last week, thinking this would be so much better than what I have right now. And then there's that moment that he, the Bible says he comes to his senses and he goes home to find a father that he expected to be met with the boxing of the, of the ears, as Pastor John said last week. He expects to be met with this, this stern rejection and, and only if he can get the father to accept him a little bit. But he doesn't meet any of that. And what he runs into is a loving God, a loving father who runs to him and meets him at the fence and throws his arms around him and weeps for joy for the fact that his son is home. One of my professors down at Trinity, his name's Kenneth Bailey, points out the fact in the story that the prodigal son has not even fully repented and become fully reformed yet. That in fact, the father has embraced him and accepted him while he still probably smelled like pig. And he brought him in and he had a party. And isn't it awesome that when we return home to God, he embraces us with our pig smell, with our messed upness, with all of our brokenness, and he brings us in and all of heaven rejoices. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that incredible to just know that we have a God that will meet us at the fence? that isn't just waiting in the house to give us a lecture, but he's waiting at the fence with a hug who's willing to disgrace himself and to sacrifice himself for us. When I hear about this story, we're in the story of the prodigal son. It comes from the, 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 the parable that Jesus told in Luke 15. If you have your app or your bulletin, you can look in there, or your Bible, you can look in there. Uh, and follow along with us. But over the past few weeks, we've been talking about the fact that Jesus is the one telling the story. 
And, and it's funny because Jesus is the one that ends up paying the bill in the reality of all this. The people that are surrounding him are the sinners and tax collectors and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. It's important to remember that because as Jesus is teaching this parable, he's purposely teaching to two different groups of people at the same time. And as a guy who tries to teach this stuff, that's very difficult to do. But the Son of God is masterful at it. And so he's teaching to the lost people, the lost people as we know them last week. And in our scripture passage today, we see Jesus teaching to yet another group of lost people. I ask myself this question when it comes to this parable. What would have happened if the father was tying his shoe at the moment the younger son came up over the horizon and the older brother was standing there and saw him first? How do you think the reception would have been from the younger brother, or to the, to the younger brother, from the older brother in comparison to the reception of the father? I could put it to words, but I found a video clip that does it a lot better than I can. And so I want you to take a look at this and think of this as kind of a modern day parable of the lost son coming home, but meeting the wrong brother at the gate. So we laugh at that, and that is obviously a very gross exaggeration, I hope, of, oh man, of, of what sometimes the, the holy church folks can look like. And, and in that story, you have a young girl who's actually finding her way back to God, but she's doing it through a genuine relationship with Jesus, but not through necessarily all the religious hoops that society tells her she should jump through. So obviously she needs an intervention. Because in our story of the, of the lost son, the lost son went his separate way. He was in this mode of self-discovery. He was living life by his terms. And, and you have this older brother who, in all that he did, he was, he was always there for the father. He was always obedient to the father. He was always the yes man. He, the dad would say, I need you to do this, and he would do it. And so can you imagine what the reaction would have been from the older brother if he had seen the younger brother come, and he probably would have met him at the fence. He probably would have slapped him with a Bible and said, you weren't there for the father, all this stuff. Now you're coming back. You want more parts of the inherited. You need to go. You need to get out of here. And chances are that younger brother probably would have turned around and left. But thank God, because in that story that Jesus tells, the younger brother does not meet the older brother. He meets the father. And the father is so excited, as we heard last week, he throws a party. Because that's what, that's what fathers do when they find their lost children, is they throw a party. Remember that, kids. <laughs> and so, we find ourselves in our scripture passage today. If you have your Bibles or your apps you want to open to Luke 15, we're going to be in verse 25. And so, in, in our world, what we do is, is when we look at that video clip, we can see two very uh, distinct rights and wrongs. There's, when we look at the lost son uh, and the older brother, we, we think of this. We think of the lost son as being this rebellious jerk that everybody can see, clearly doesn't have his life together. He's a train wreck. And, and you know, we all know people like that. And, and so, we might call that person the, the person who's out on a self-discovery mission, um, or as when you look at the playground, it's the kid that always bends the rules so that he can win, like my son when we play Pokemon together. 
I don't know how the game is played because every time it changes so that he can win. Okay? It's just what he does. But then there's that other person. There's the older brother whose everything is by the book. Everything is by the rules. And so that's the other side of the coin is we have the moral conformity. And I think of that as the kid on the playground who's running around saying, you can't triple stamp a double stamp. And he's saying, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't be on there. Only one person on the trampoline, which everybody knows doesn't happen anyway. But this guy, the, the, the moral conformist, says it's by this, 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 and this. And so in our society, we place everybody in these two categories. And what Jesus is trying to teach us through this story is that everybody's wrong. That it's not by this means, and it's not by this means. It's another way. In fact, when we get into it here in a little bit, and we're going to cover this next week, there's actually a third brother in this story that's not talked about. It's the true older brother. It's the older brother that should have run after the younger brother before he even left the property. And that brother is actually demonstrated to us by Jesus. But we're going to talk more about that next week. This week, we're going to talk about our moral conformist, our older brother, our doesn't-do-anything-wrong brother. See, it's interesting because when we read the story as Jesus is telling it to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, he says in verse 25, Meanwhile, the older son was in a field. What was the older son doing? He was working hard. He was doing what the father asked. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and he asked him, Hey, what's going on? He said, Your brother's come home. And your father's killed the fattened calf uh, and be, and has, because he hasn't been back safe and sound. And so what the older brother hears is, is, wait a second, dad's having a party for that, that guy? And so instantly, instead of being the true brother he should have been, instead of caring about the needs of the father, the, the older brother, his character really comes out for who he really is. Because in this moment, if he really was a true member of the family, if he truly loved the father, he would have been excited for the father in this moment. Because he saw how losing his other son grieved his father. And he should have been excited about the fact that his younger brother was home. But instead, he does something else as it continues on. And it says this, the older brother became angry. How sad is that? That you're a member of the family has come home. And the only experience that you can have is anger. Well, it's evident that the reason why anger is the way he felt is because he wasn't looking out for the sake of the family. There's actually a lot of selfish intent in the older brother. The older brother became angry and he refused to go in. Remember how I told you about this culture was a patriarchal society and how everything that you did, whether shaking with your left hand or your right hand, everything was, could be either a tremendous compliment or a tremendous offense. There was a lot of uh, social things that went on, and one of the social standards that went on is if somebody invited you to a party or you were to attend a party, you went to that party unless you despised or wanted to make a political statement or a statement of hatred towards that person. So to not go into a party that is going on is, is you know, you're, just, you're really kind of giving someone a not nice gesture. Not only that, this is his father throwing the party. 
So what you have now is, is you have an older son who's always been there, who's always been loyal, who's been obedient, and who has been righteous, is now disrespecting the father and publicly humiliating the father just like the younger brother did. And so he refuses to go into the party. And I'm going to tell you right now, if I came to a party at your house and your kids started throwing a temper tantrum and would stand outside because somebody was there, everybody in the party would know what's going on, wouldn't they? And so now we have a father who for a brief moment had found his sons and was rejoicing in the fact that both of his sons were home is now standing there brokenhearted because one of his sons is now lost. And it's the older son. So we find ourselves moving on. It says, the older brother became angry. He refused to go into the party. So his father went out and pleaded with him. Yet again, another social faux pas. The father, the patriarch, did not plead. He did not beg. You obeyed, and that was it. So now the father is experiencing more disgrace. So he went out and he pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, dads, if your son looked at you with man eyes and went, look, that's a challenge. That is a threat. It's like two bucks standing in the field, stamping their feet together, getting ready to ram their heads together. The older brother is taking a stance. He's now, he's now removing the father as the patriarch of his life, and he's beginning to do things that are very disrespectful, and his heart is being revealed. He says, look, all these years I've been slaving for you, and I've never disobeyed your orders Yet you never gave me even the youngest goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. He says these words. That son of yours. And so in a moment, a while ago with the younger brother, the younger brother made the statement to the father, I want my stuff now and I want to go on my way. And with that statement, the younger brother basically told the father, I wish you were dead and out of my life. Now, in that same type of moment, the older brother looks at the father and says, that son of yours. And he makes a statement that is disowning of the father. And he is now separating himself from the family, making a very bold claim that is just as ignorant and just as gross as what the younger brother did. And not only is it bad, it's worse because he used his loyalty to the father as a way of saying, look, Dad, I have been everything that you have asked. You owe me. Doesn't that take some gall? Because you see the older brother, seeing the other brother come back, was just upset because you remember the younger brother took one-third of the estate. And so when he comes back and he, when he's reinstated at the table of the father, the two-thirds that remains is now going to be split up amongst older and younger. And so older brother isn't upset with the father per se. He's more upset by the fact that the stuff that was owed to him is now going to go back to this chump again. And so the older brother, just like the younger brother, could really not even care about the father. He just cared about the father's stuff. The younger brother went a different route about getting it. The older brother tried to get it by manipulating the father. Isn't it interesting to think that there would be somebody out there who would do everything that they're told to do, not out of love for the father, 
But so at one moment in his life, he could look at the father and say, you owe me. It's like the mafia church or something. You can laugh at that. It's kind of funny. Think about that. It's, it's this older brother is getting closer to the father so that he can owe him something. Like he's a genie in the bottle. And church, I'm here to tell you the reason why Jesus is teaching the Pharisees and the reason why this is in the word of God is because we as the righteous, holy church people of God oftentimes get caught up in this lifestyle where we live as older brothers. And instead of actually giving uh, a care about God himself in relationship with him, we're more worried about being able to say to God one day, you owe me. I was faithful. I took communion. Every time those doors opened, there was one Sunday where it snowed 97 feet and the Olympics was on, and I still went to church, God. You owe me. Can you see my point? Think about how absurd that is. We're not married to our spouses so that they'll owe us something. We're married to our spouse because we love them, and God doesn't love us because he wants us to owe him something. He loves us because he loves us. And so the question I have for you this morning is, why are you here? Are you here because it's simply your duty? Or are you here because you love God? And because you want to be in the celebration and you want to be in the party? Because I'm going to tell you right now, if you think God is your genie in the bottle, if you think by doing everything the way that the book says or the way that the rules state, if, if you're that moral conformist that thinks you're going to be able to leverage God, I'm going to tell you right now, Jesus is not good enough for you. Because if that is the way things work, we don't need a Savior. Is this making sense? But the reality of it is, is we do need a Savior. Because it doesn't work that way. God doesn't owe us a blessed thing. It is by grace and mercy of the Father alone that any of us gets invited to the party because the reality is we're all spoiled brats. You following me, church? You hearing what I'm saying? The saddest truth about this parable is the younger brother was in fact the one that was lost the least. Because the older brother thought he was right, he tried to lord it over the father and tried to manipulate the father. And he was even more lost than the one that we always see as lost. I've often heard pastors joke about the hardest people in the world to minister to are church people. They joke about it. But because of stuff like this, it's true. Because how many of us in this room right now think that we're doing great simply because we did communion, because we read our Bible six times during the week, because we did this, because we did this, because we did this, because we did this. God, you owe me. That's not how it works, folks. The saddest part of this parable when it ends is the fact that there is actually only one person who's not at the party. And it's the older brother. The word of God tells us later in the, in the book of Luke, it's Jesus. He says that, that humility is a first step to grace. That being humble is a first step to grace. And when you think you have it all together, when you think you've got figured out, you're not being humble. And I'm going to tell you right now, you're going to be left outside of the party. The Father wants you to come in. The Father wants to celebrate with you. You are just as significant to the Father as the other son. 
the reality of it is, is we're the ones who are deciding to reject the Father. We're the ones alienating ourselves from God through our righteousness. It just sounds weird, doesn't it? God doesn't want us to be the moral conformist. God doesn't want us to be this crazy kid running all over the place. Because you see, God would send Jesus to be an example of who he wants us to be. God would send Jesus as a sacrifice for us so that we can be made right. God wants us to be the older brother that instead of letting his little brother run away, he wants us to be that older brother that would go after the younger brother and say, look, we love you. We want you to stay here. I know you've got some crazy things in your head right now, but we'll figure it out. And maybe his brothers, they even duke it out a little bit. But at the end of the day, the older brother doesn't give up on the younger brother. I think for each one of us, that's going to hit us in a different way. Do you know the mission of Jesus Christ was? As he sums up in Luke 16. Yeah, Luke 16. He sums it up like this. He says in, uh, excuse me, Luke 19.10. Jesus just says, I came to seek and to save the lost. He didn't come to bend, to bow, to stand, to pray in the proper order. He didn't come to make sure that the church didn't have snow on it. He didn't come to... He came to seek and to save the lost. And my biggest fear is that there are going to be a lot of really good people who did a lot of really good things in their life who are going to burn in the pits of hell because they never had a relationship with Jesus. You hearing me, church? You cannot work your way to the Father. It is by grace and mercy alone. You're going to be broken. You're going to smell like pig when you get there. But my daddy doesn't care. Your father, your God, God the Father doesn't care because he just wants his kids to party with him. He wants his kids to be at his table. Maybe you're the younger son tonight. Maybe you need to come home. Maybe today you're the older brother. Maybe you need to lighten up. And maybe you need to recognize that the world's just not about you. That you can't be your own savior. You do need Jesus. Maybe you're that third brother. Maybe you get it. If so, praise God. (laughs) But I want to challenge you to really think about that stuff today. I want you to ask God, which brother am I? I want you to ask God to convict your heart. Which brother am I? Father, we love you and we thank you. We praise you, God, that you did not just abandon us You've taken your hands off us. You've given us over to our sinful nature, Lord. But the, but the moment we come over the horizon, the moment we come to our senses, as the word says, you run for us. And you throw your arms around us. And you tell us, welcome back. You tell us, welcome to the table. And you put a ring on our finger and you throw a party. We thank you, God. We are not deserving of anything more than death. We are not deserving but it doesn't matter because we can't do anything to earn it anyway. It's by grace alone. It's by your mercy alone. You told us in your word to just put your faith in me. And the reality, God, is when we don't put our faith in you, when we, when we try to be that older brother, God, that we are just simply afraid to let go of control. 
because we're not sure of what your plan and your will is. But God, your will is perfect and your plan is just beautiful. And so help us to have faith to let go and to let you do what it is you do. It's in your name we pray. Amen.